Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the next segment of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. I'm attorney Eric Daigle, and happy to have you with me again here today. And we're going to continue with a little bit of legal application today. And today's topics are fighting words. Yes, say them. Isn't it nice to say? Say the words. Fighting words. What is fighting words? Well, as you know from the past podcast that we talked about, where we looked at First Amendment application, fighting words is a very important part of the First Amendment application. Sometimes you see fighting words being discussed in the academy and especially penal code class when dealing with disorderly conduct or dealing with uh, incitement to commit violence. Um, But this interesting aspect of fighting words is something that we've been dealing with lately in the crowd control First Amendment application because, you know, One of the sad parts of fighting words is as we talk about what they are, and we're going to look at a case today which highlights fighting words, your most favorite fighting words. That is an individual who's wearing a T-shirt at a state fair that says, F the police on it. I think that's as much as I can say for a podcast. But can you, you know, it, it rhymes with duck and starts with F. How's that? So this individual goes to a state fair wearing a T-shirt that says F the police. Now the question is, well, what is that? And and in the world we live in, uh, we see a lot of interesting t-shirts out there, but when it comes to fighting words, I think this is where as a society, if you want me to get on my soapbox for a second, I'll be happy to do so. As a society, one of the things that is challenging is, um, I think we have difficulty with the actual definition of fighting words. So what is fighting words? Fighting words are written or spoken words intended to incite hatred or violence from their target. There are a lot of different definitions, but we're going to try to get this focused. The term fighting words is also used in the general sense of words that when uttered tend to create deliberately or not a verbal or physical confrontation by their mere usage. Now, I'm going to ask you to think about this for a second. What words in today's society that are written or spoken intend to incite hatred or violence? And the sad part is we can use, you know, uh, slang words. We can use hate-based words, racist-type words. And the interesting part is, is do they really incite hatred or violence? Like, what what can your neighbor say to you that would make you really, really mad. And the sad part, I think, as we see in the cases that we're looking at, is that uh, we're pretty much have accepted that the way we talk to each other is pretty pathetic, to be honest with you. But let's start with identifying what we call the fighting words doctrine. The fighting words doctrine in the United States constitutional law it clarifies its its application and we identify its limitation to freedom of speech as protected by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. A little bit of history, 1942, the United States Supreme Court established a doctrine of fighting words in a 9-0 decision in a case called Chaplinsky versus New Hampshire. In that case, the Supreme Court held that insulting or fighting words, those that are by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of peace are among the well-defined and narrowly limited classes of speech that the prevention and punishment of which have never been thought to raise any constitutional problems. In the Chaplinsky decision, 
Chaplinsky was a Jehovah's Witness who had purportedly told a New Hampshire town marshal who was attempting to prevent him from preaching that he was a, quote, damned racketeer, end quote, and a damned fascist, end quote. As a result, he was arrested. The court upheld the arrest and wrote in its decision this, There are certain well-defined and narrowly limited classes of speech, the prevention and punishment of which have never been thought to raise any constitutional problem. These include the lewd and obscene, the profane, the libelous, and the insulting or fighting words, those which by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of peace. It has been well observed that such utterances are not essential part of any exposition of ideas and are such slight social values as to step to truth that any benefit that may be derived from them is clearly outweighed by the social interest in order and morality. Interesting. That was 1942. Question. Do you think this actually stands as we hear? Well, if we look at the post-Chaplinsky, we've seen some very interesting cases that talk about fighting words. And look, it, I'm not trying to get in trouble here because if I'm talking about fighting words, you know, everything I'm about to talk about is probably not going to be socially acceptable in the application. But I am doing this for the benefit of judgment and, le- and legal applications. So let's see what comes up. In 1969, the Supreme Court in a case Street versus New York started to narrow the grounds on which fighting words were held to apply. In this 1969 case, Street versus New York, the court overturned a statute prohibiting flag burning and verbally abusing the flag, holding that the mere offensiveness does not qualify as fighting words. Next up was a 1971 case called Cohen versus California. In Cohen, Mr. Cohen was wearing a jacket that said, F the draft. And the court came back and said, Wearing a jacket that said F the draft does not constitute uttering fighting words since there has been no personally abusive epithets. Well, we know that's going to change because in Brandenburg versus Ohio in 1969, an even vile speech such as, quote, bury the N-words and, quote, send the Jews back to Israel was held to be protected speech under the First Amendment in a per curiam decision. In addition, despite the speech being broadcast on network television, it did not direct or incite or produce imminent lawless action, nor was it likely to produce such action. As a result of that case, we started to see a lot of, well, let's just say very very lucid, uh, such as uh, goddamn mother blankers and mother blanker and mother blanker fascist and white son of a bitch, I'll kill you. The courts really looked at a lot of cases over the years. Um, And even more, we're going to jump in before we get to the case for today, is the 2011 case from the Supreme Court, Snyder versus Phelps, where this is the Westboro Baptist Church. And it was argued that three criteria were necessary for fighting words, immediacy, proximity, and instinctive, a reaction to the target. Even outrageous and hurtful speech that was shown in Snyder versus Phelps, such as God hates the USA, thank God for 9-11, America is doomed, don't pray for the USA, thank God for IEDs, 
Thank God for dead soldiers, Pope in hell, priest rape boys, God hates fags. You're getting the point, right? The court said all of these things is considered public debate, particularly when conducted on public land and must enjoy special First Amendment protection. So that leads us to today's case and the case that we want to deal with in the application of a Sixth Circuit 2022 Court of Appeals case. Well, I'm sure that you're no stranger to the fact that there may be certain members of your community that feel strongly against the police. More and more often, we're seeing and hearing anti-police rhetoric, groups that want to defund the police, and then people like our suspect today who simply just want to rile law enforcement up and then film it. Coming to us from the Sixth Circuit, our case today deals with the First Amendment rights and fighting words. The Supreme Court has defined fighting words as words that by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace. It is a hard thing to prove in court, and there are many exceptions to the rule. But as officers, we are held to a higher standard when handling these types of utterance. Let's dive into this case today and see if Mr. Wood's actions in the case Wood versus Eubanks are even were an exception to the rule. So, on July 2016, Michael Wood went to the Clark County Fair wearing a shirt that said, F the police. A few hours after Wood arrived, the Sheriff's Department received a call complaining about his shirt. Deputies approached Wood and asked him to identify himself, but Wood declined to do so. Wood attempted to record the encounter, but stopped when he realized his camera was not working and walked away. Several hours later, six deputies and Dean Blair, the executive director of the county fairgrounds, approached Wood. Wood was no longer wearing the shirt in question. Blair asked Wood, where's the shirt? I want to see this shirt. Blair then asked Wood if he had changed. Wood did not answer, but instead asked if he had committed a crime or was being detained. Blair replied that he wanted Wood to leave and Wood was not welcome and that Wood needed to get off the fairgrounds. Wood agreed to leave as if his admission fee was refunded. After Blair refunded Wood's admission fee, Blair and the officers escorted Wood to an exit. While being escorted to an exit, Wood voiced many profane and harsh insults towards Blair and the officers. The officers eventually arrested Wood for disorderly conduct under Ohio Code 2917.11A2 and obstructing official business. The prosecutor later dismissed both charges. Wood sued the six officers involved in his arrest under 42 U.S.C. Section 1983. Wood alleged that, one, the officers violated the Fourth Amendment because they arrested him without probable cause, and two, the officers arrested him in retaliation for the words on his shirt, which were protected speech under the First Amendment. The district court held that the officers were entitled to qualified immunity regarding Wood's false arrest claim and dismissed Wood's second claim, ruling that there was insufficient evidence of retaliation by the officers. So Wood appealed his case. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals found that the Ohio Supreme Court was clearly established that a person may not be punished for disorderly conduct unless the speech in question constitutes fighting words. However, the fighting words exception is very limited because it is inconsistent with the general principles of free speech guaranteed by the First Amendment. The court then noted that this limitation is reflected in Ohio's disorderly conduct statute. 
and the First Amendment, which both require more than the use of profanity by itself to establish a criminal offense. The court added that police officers are held to a higher standard than average citizens because the First Amendment requires that they tolerate, and this is what the words of the court, a coarse criticism. The officers argued that they had probable cause to arrest Wood for disorderly conduct because his language consisted of personally abusive labels that constituted fighting words. The officers claimed their position was supported by body camera footage, which captured Wood referring to them at various times during the encounter as thugs with badges, effing thugs with guns, effing thugs with badges, six bitch-ass effing pigs, dirty rap bastards, and eight pussies with badges, among other things. Words you never thought you were going to hear in a podcast, huh? Uh, The court cited prior cases in which it had found that the use of profanity towards police officers without other conduct did not rise to the level of fighting words because these monikers were no more than coarse criticism. The court then cited cases in which behavior involving more than mere epithets established probable cause for a disorderly conduct arrest. For example, a man who told an officer, I'll rip your head off, and a man who waved his finger approximately one inch from the faces of officers after being warned to stop were both properly charged with disorderly conduct. In this case, while Wood's speech was profane, the court concluded that the circumstances did not create a situation where violence was likely to result. The court commented that none of the officers reacted with violence or appeared to view Wood's words as an invitation to engage in a physical confrontation. As a result, the court held that the First Amendment protected Wood's speech. Therefore, officers did not have probable cause to arrest him for disorderly conduct. In addition, the court found that Wood's right to be free from false arrest was clearly established. Therefore, the officers were not entitled to qualified immunity. The court added that this conclusion was consistent with those of the 7th, 8th, and 9th circuits, which have considered similar issues. Concerning Wood's First Amendment retaliation claim, the court had to consider whether Wood's shirt, the t-shirt, what the shirt said, was a substantial or motivating factor in the officer's decision to arrest him. The court held that the district court improperly dismissed this count in Wood's lawsuit. The court based its ruling on the fact that the parties disputed whether Wood's shirt was a substantial or motivating factor in the decision to arrest Wood. The officers claimed that they removed Wood from the fairgrounds because he was filming police. And on the other hand, Wood alleged that Blair walked up behind him, flanked by the officers, and yelled, Where's the shirt? I want to see the shirt. In addition, while driving to the jail, Wood claimed that an officer said to Wood, How, How's that work? You got a shirt that said F the police, but you want us to uphold the Constitution. The court held that a reasonable jury considering these facts could conclude that officers were motivated to confront Wood and require him to leave the fairgrounds in part because of the words on his t-shirt. The takeaway is pretty obvious here. Yes, there are going to be people who get in your face and say horrible things, but that does not mean that you can arrest them. In an age where every has a, and everyone has a phone and is just trying to go viral as quickly as possible, 
know that you're being held to a higher standard with even more scrutiny. This case applied Ohio case law in its argument, but the court noted that this ruling is consistent across the board, including the 7th, 8th, and 9th circuits. As always, check your local statutes to ensure that you, are fully, you fully understand what constitutes disorderly conduct and what obnoxious behavior may be protected under the First Amendment. And if you want to learn more, make sure you take a look at our First Amendment Summit where we will be discussing First Amendment issues in the first week of June in Uncasville, Connecticut at the DLG First Amendment Summit. Till next time, help those who need your help, protect those who need your protection, and most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you.